Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, January 27, 2019. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and it's been a busy weekend in college basketball. Most of what's relevant from a national perspective is in the books. Among the things worth noting, uh, Trey Jones returned and helped Duke beat Georgia Tech. Virginia murdered Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Iowa State murdered Ole Miss at Ole Miss. Purdue jumped all over Michigan State early, then held on to beat the Spartans at Mackey Arena. Maryland lost at home to Illinois. That's bad. Kansas State lost at Texas A&M. That's bad. Braxton Beverly hit a buzzer beater to lift NC State past Clemson, and we're going to get to some of that plus some other things before this podcast is completed. But I wanted to start with the big result from the weekend, and that's Kentucky's win over Kansas. The Wildcats were down double digits early. They trailed by three at the half, but Kentucky outscored Kansas 41-30 in the final 20 minutes. They win 71-63. So the Wildcats are now 16-3 and overall, 12-0 and inside Rupp Arena. And because I've referenced their record against top 100 Kimpom teams so often, uh, to explain why I had them ranked lower than where they were ranked in the AP poll, it's only fair to highlight how that's improved drastically in the past two weeks. At one point, Kentucky was just 3-3 three and three against top 100 teams, but this six-game winning streak has pushed the Wildcats to 7-3 and three against top 100 Ken Palm teams. They now have the resume of a legitimate top 10 team. You know, early in the season when UK was clearly struggling, um, I detailed how John Calipari almost always gets things figured out, and almost always gets his teams at least close to what they were supposed to be, even if they start slow. And it seems uh, safe to to say he's done that again. Norlander, I read your column on Kentucky. Can you please give the folks who haven't read it yet a synopsis of what you wrote this week? I will, but as I before I go into it, do you, yes or no, do you largely agree with what I wrote, or do you have some minor disagreements? I, I largely agree with what you wrote. I, I don't know if they'll ever be what I personally thought they were going to be because in the preseason, I, I had them ranked number one in the country. That means I thought they were going to be the best team in the country. I don't think they're going to be the best team in the country. I don't think they're going to win a national championship. But if you are having a conversation about, you know, six, seven, eight teams that can win a national championship, you, you'd better include them in it. And I, it's not something I would have said, you know, maybe – a month and a half ago, but it's something I'll say right now. I'll say it now, and I would not have said it if they lost this game. Um, This win combined with what they've done over the past month, a little month plus, I think firmly gets Kentucky back at the table of legitimate national championship contenders. And I don't include them among a list of 15, even though there might be 15 teams capable of doing that, uh, if you want to extend it out to, say, a Marquette or a Villanova and stuff like that, because those teams, to me, aren't where Kentucky is overall, and I, I... I wouldn't put them quite on the level. Right now, though, with Kentucky having won three straight games against ranked opponents, having won five of its past ten against likely or reasonably uh, projectable NCAA tournament teams, getting three road wins in that stretch, getting a neutral win over North Carolina, and the way that it beat Kansas. I know Kansas wasn't at full strength, but I don't care. I look at the way Kentucky has played over the past really even more than that beyond the North Carolina game because the Alabama loss was understandable. The Seton Hall loss, completely understandable. They have uh, really put that opening night Duke loss completely uh, of a different time and place. That that was a different-looking team altogether than the team we saw win at home. Yes, it had the benefit of its home floor GP, but um, 
what it was able to do, and it, it actually wasn't even as as a well-rounded of a win, in my opinion, as what they did against Auburn when they've got when they got more from their bench and overall. But this one was the one that, to me, it clinches it. You know, yes, Kentucky's going to take more losses, and in fact, it's it's staring down uh, three of its next four on the road. And sure, it's it, it very well could lose a game in there. I wouldn't be surprised if it lost two. Hey, maybe that's the case. But with what they've put together and what they've been able to string together, I am seeing a team that even if it takes another two, three, or four losses before Selection Sunday, has the goods to make a Final Four. I was not convinced of that right around the time of the Alabama loss. If it had shown up poorly against Kansas in a huge spot, don't know if I would have been convinced of that, but on the total with how good they were defensively, with how consistent Kelton Johnson remains to be, and with P.J. Washington and Reed Travis really, truly playing as, you know, yin and yang, so to speak, down and around the paint. They combined for, like, GP, I think it was 48 points and 25 rebounds. I think that's what I had in my column. It was awesome all around. I'm way in on Kentucky. I'm almost at the point where I want to say they're clicking like a top-five team, but I'll stop just short of that, but unequivocally top ten. I have them number seven in Sunday morning's uh, CBS Sports updated top 25 and one. Um, and, you know, and, and I do think that the victory over Kansas, like it, it was the difference between, you know, I had them, uh, I think, 10th on Saturday morning. And that was the most outrageous thing in the world to some Kentucky fans. Not all. This is one of those uh, traps you fall in where you start to think all of some fan base is is represented by just like a handful of 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 lunatics and it's just even with kentucky that is not true most kentucky fans i do think are 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 sensible and and reasonable and understand that you know know, they're still only 10th at ken palm so having them 10th yesterday morning uh in the top 25 and one wasn't crazy um but now they're seventh and i think everybody can acknowledge i I don't know that even the lunatic kentucky fans could have an issue with seventh uh in the top 25 and one and they deserve it Again, they're 16 and 3 overall, 12 and 0 inside Rupp Arena, 5 and 1 in the SEC. And I know you noted this, but just to put it in proper context, um, since November 7th, in other words, the day after the embarrassing Duke loss, um, they've done nothing but win except for the Seton Hall game and the Alabama game. And the Seton Hall game was a one point loss in overtime, the Alabama game, a two point loss um, in regulation. Uh, they obviously had a chance to win both of those games. So it's not crazy. I mean, it's really just one make here, one stop there. Uh, Kentucky could be sitting here, you know, 18-1, and one, and on an 18-game winning streak, you know, John's got this thing headed in the right direction, undeniably. Yes, and I, I'm liking – I got to say, I think – an element that Kentucky fans are aware of, and maybe the casual fans who are kind of swooping in here and there with Kentucky, I think the reason beyond what I mentioned with Washington Travis, Ashton Hagens, who is by no means a reliable shooter, what he is doing defensively, and I think what he is bringing to the rest of the team from a from a morale and confidence standpoint, I, I don't know. When I watch Kentucky play and they hit these runs, or if they're kind of sagging a little bit, the body language, if not, if not, frankly, the verbal language coming from Hagen seems to be a real spark. Don't know how much you can put toward the tangible or intangible side of that. I love watching this kid play, though, GP. I, I, I don't yet have him in my top ten frost watch. I'm getting really, really close there. Again, offensively, he's just he's a little bit up and down. It just it kind of depends on the game. But overall, I think his impact is undeniable. And again, while that might be 
an obvious thing inside the bluegrass state. I don't think people realize just how important Hagens is. He's a real one, as they say, and I think without him on this team, I, w- I will say this. If Hagens wasn't on this roster, and remember, he reclassified, I don't think that Kentucky is only a three-loss team, and I don't think that we are talking about them after the game against Kansas as being in the mix of the national title picture. I think you know for what he does and how much he has helped them, it's been immense. No, he had three steals in the uh, win over Kansas. And if you go back to the North Carolina game um, where we were both in Chicago. Yes, uh, Ferris, we were sports club. <laughs> that- oh, my God, you're so funny. Like, you you hesitated to make sure you had your cities right. Paris, yes, Dude, we're I, in Chicago. I, I don't remember where I am half the time. I swear to God, I have no idea where I'm at. Like, I, uh, people go, I, like, okay, Indianapolis and then Chicago, but was it in India? I don't know. So I really did have to hesitate and think. Um, we were in Chicago, and he had eight steals against North Carolina, and I do really think that was his introduction uh, to the sport in the sense that, hey, this is a real difference maker on the defensive end of the court. And he's not uh, just the reason that Kentucky is a different team on that end of the court. Um, you know, he he's the reason now that, you know, Kentucky could have a another first-round pick in addition to presumably Keldon Johnson in the 2019 NBA draft. If he chooses to enter the 2019 NBA draft, I think probably Keldon Johnson is a, you know, a lottery pick type guy. Uh, P.J. Washington, probably a, a first-round pick type guy, given the way he shot the ball from the perimeter this year. And then Ashton Hagens, uh, I, I think can you can reasonably um, suggest that he'll join him. And so U.K., even if this isn't quite like a, and the Anthony Davis-led team or the 2015 team, um, it's, it now seems like they might have three uh, first-round picks in the uh, in the 2019 NBA draft. So uh, they're not as talented at the top as Duke, but they are immensely talented again and and starting to to play like it. Let's talk about Kansas for a second because they are now um, just four and three since Yudoka Azabuki uh, suffered a season-ending hand injury. And Bill Self, after Saturday's loss, said his team is quote light in the butt. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that's true. Kansas just got worked around the rim at Kentucky. Dedrick Lawson grabbed 15 rebounds in the game. He was terrific again, but he was like in a fight the whole time with with two. There's like one of him and two of Kentucky, and it's just a it's a tough deal. He had 15 rebounds in the game. Uh, KU, the rest of the team only got 21. Now check this out: Kansas missed 40 field goal attempts in the game, and Kentucky finished with 32 defensive rebounds. That's a defensive rebounding percentage of 80 percent. Incredible. Meantime. Kentucky missed 39 field goal attempts. And the Wildcats had 17 offensive rebounds, which is a 43.6% offensive rebounding percentage. The best offensive rebounding percentage in the country right now on the season is 41%. It belongs to Portland State. In other words, Kentucky had a higher offensive rebounding percentage against Kansas than the best offensive rebounding percentage in the nation. And for what it's worth, Kansas is now 162nd in offensive rebounding percentage and 213th in the country in defensive rebounding percentage. So clearly, uh, you know, Bill Self got some stuff to get fixed there because Doak's not coming back. And I I guess Silvio D'Souza could help if he's reinstated, but it's obviously unclear if he's ever going to play for Kansas again. 
Yes, and on our previous podcast and on CBS Sports HQ, this was one thing I pointed out was that Kentucky had had issues with size and athleticism in the front court through much of the season, but Kansas was not going to be able to produce much of a task there or a difficulty. Lo and behold, the numbers you just referenced. And by the way, Kentucky is now top five in the nation in offensive rebound percentage. That game, at least from that kind of approach, that tactic, that style, what Kansas didn't have, really played into Kentucky's hands and was a significant factor in the second half. When you paired it with the fact that UK was able to key in on LeGerald Vick, who was uh, a non-factor for most of the second half, and this is the big issue with Kansas. It cannot be this type of team that relies on Dietrich Lawson to be a first-team All-American and then no one else on the roster is one of the 10 best players in the Big 12. That is a recipe for potentially having the streak lose. I'm not saying it will. Again, I'm, I will not predict that until it actually happens. I still think Kansas is the best team in the Big 12 and will finish atop the regular season standings. But more severely, that is something that will get you bounced in the Sweet 16, arguably the second round if you hit the wrong kind of team with the wrong kind of personnel that can take away what you want to do. LeGerald Vick cannot be this guy who is averaging 11, 12 points per game when Kansas is losing. That's going to be a quick, a quick way to an exit ramp, okay? Devon Dotson, Quentin Grimes, they continue to show – Dotson more than Grimes, these little flashes here and there, but they got to grow up in a hurry. Marcus Garrett, very good defensive player. Love what he can do, but he was off yesterday. So you saw a Kansas team that got uh, 15 boards and how many points for Diedrich? 28, Parrish? 26? Got it somewhere here. I thought it was 20, 28 and 15, 26 and 15, something yep. like that. Right. Uh, no, 20 points, 15 rebounds. He was 7 of 18 from the field, 2 of 3 from three-point range. Yeah, but, and by the way, he's not even – he is. Uh, he's hit four threes in his past two games. He's not even a three-point shooter. They, they're not asking him to do that, so he's actually stepped up in that regard as well. So hand-in-hand, hand, no Azubuki, rest of the season. Lawson's been good, and he'll still get his numbers even if he's doubled and occasionally even triple teamed, but with what Kansas has now, and yeah, you'd be thankful that you have Vic on this roster because as we – Mentioned plenty of times on this podcast, like they didn't even think he'd have him. Well, you do have him now, and you need to utilize him there because um, I just don't know how reliable Dotson or Grimes are going to be here. And Charlie Moore, frankly, um, you know, has not been the kind of guy that that they thought he would be after transfer season. We talk about how you know you can point out you know Reed Travis or Dedrick Lawson and how good they've been in transfer years. Well, Charlie Moore has come w well short of that, and. Um, you know, Ochai Abaji still just getting used to it. So that's the big concern with Kansas. And I'll leave you with this, Perry. Respond to that as you please. Last thing is this. Kansas is 1-4 on the road. All four of its losses have come on the road. Kentucky's 3-1, and one, and the difference in opponents isn't that drastic. So I don't know if Kansas being 1-4 is a harbinger for some serious issues come March when all the games are on neutral courts or not. And and the, some of the most of the teams they've lost to are, are – Fairly decent. I mean, ASU. Who knows? But they've they dropped to Kentucky and Iowa State, and the other ones to West Virginia. But uh, but that, I th I think that is interesting because they have not lost their final game on the road. I can almost guarantee you that. And in fact, their next one comes at Texas, although they are a complete toss up. So yeah, Kansas a little bit of a conundrum. But I still do like this team in the long term. It's just got, someone's going to have to step up, and I think it's got to be Vic. To me, the more concerning thing than the road record is the record since Yudoka Azabuki has season-ending hand surgery it's four and three and i think two of the losses are on the road to unranked teams i want to make sure that's right um one of them yeah yeah lost at west virginia no and a lost at iowa state yeah 
Yeah, I mean, listen, there's no shame in losing to Iowa State, although you don't at Iowa State, although you don't want to lose by 17. But as I pointed out before the Kentucky game, you know, they got pushed at Baylor and had to hold on late. They only beat Texas by a bucket inside Allen Fieldhouse. They had to rally um, on Big Monday last week uh, to beat Iowa State at home. And, and then, of course, they get handled, I don't want to say easily because they were up at the half, but um, – you know, in the final 10 minutes of that game, it, it never felt like Kentucky wasn't going to win that game. That's right. So they're just four and three without Doak. And to me, that that's a problem because that suggests you're closer to a four and three team in reality than you are, you know, to what your big record, your overall record, sub 16 and four suggests that you are. Because a lot of that 16 and four, the good stuff in it came when you had somebody on your roster who is not going to be available to you the rest of this season. And Bill Self never hid from this, like talking about how important Doak was to everything Kansas does. But the most obvious reason he was so important is because he allows them to play a traditional lineup the way Bill Self likes to play a traditional lineup with two bigs. Right now, they're going a four-guard lineup. And here's the truth. As much as I love Dedrick Lawson, he's a 6'9", unathletic forward. And the other four starters are 6'2", 6'5", 6'5", and 6'5". That's a problem. Um, because even though Diedrich had a, a block at the rim late against Iowa State last week, he's not a rim protector. So they're playing small, they have no rim protector, and they're getting handled uh, on the boards uh, pretty consistently. Some people, are, I shouldn't say some people, a, a person on Twitter asked me if I thought Bill Self should stop playing this small lineup and insert David McCormick into the lineup. He's a 6'9 center, freshman, top 40 prospect class of 2018. And I guess my answer to that would be, um, if, if that were a solution, I would assume Bill Self would be playing David McCormick more than 6.6 minutes per game. He's averaging 1.9 points, 2.3 rebounds, and 6.6 minutes per game. Played eight against Kentucky. If Bill doesn't think that David can help him, particularly in a game uh, like the Kentucky game where they're getting absolutely overwhelmed on the offensive board, my guess is that in practices he's showing very little to suggest that that he can help. Like In theory, a 6'9 center top 40 prospect could be helpful, but but maybe not this one because – the staff isn't even really giving him an opportunity to do it. Yeah, the the lack of help in the front court is is undeniably um, a lingering issue that I just don't think improves all that much. Uh, between Lightfoot, McCormick, it's it's just not there. Um, it's something Kansas is going to have to overcome. And yeah, in in a season in which, by the way, it, it wasn't expected to go like this because last season people will recall Kansas went to a four guard lineup and went small. And that was different from what self had done uh, for most of his KU career. It wasn't going to be like that at all this season because of the expected. Well, first of all, the expected departure of Vic, but then having as a Buki healthy for the entire season and D'Souza, it, you know, up until right, you know, not the 11th hour, but they thought they'd have him. So it's it more traditional. It's not turning like that at all. And now you have Kansas that's going to have to rely on more small going forward. It'll be pretty, uh, pretty fascinating to see what, you know, what the next level adjustment self makes here. Because he, he had the ones with without Azubuki, and now you find out about DeSouza or not. And I still feel that's coming any day. I don't know. And if they get him, then, okay, maybe everything recalibrates a little bit. But we'll wait and see. You got to remember also last season, and then we'll move on. Um, 
they still had Svi and Doak um, in the middle. I mean, you know, they up front. They still had six, eight, seven foot. You know, last year the the, the people who got the most minutes it was six two, six three, six five, and then six eight and seven foot. Now they're going six two, six five, six five, six five, six nine. And that, that's making a huge difference, although they weren't a great rebounding team last season either, and they still managed to, you know, do everything that they did, uh, go to a Final Four. But uh, it, it's a real issue right now that, that they're going to have to get resolved and um, might need to get it resolved, as you know, by as soon as Tuesday night. Because I know, like you mentioned, Texas is just all over the place, and, and they are. They're three and four in the uh, Big 12 right now. Uh, they just lost at Georgia. That's not a good Georgia team. Um, they're, but they're still top 35 at Ken Palm. Kansas will probably be favored at uh, at Texas, but it won't be by much. And so they're going to have to play or, or else they'll take another loss. And then we'll probably be here on Wednesday talking about, all right, is this the year they are not going to win the Big 12? Because um, they are at least vulnerable. That was it's been obvious for a while. And it was a, uh, you know, Saturday's loss inside Rupp Arena was a reminder of that. The other most significant result from the weekend happened on Sunday afternoon. We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Purdue beat Michigan State on Sunday. Final score, Purdue 73, Michigan State 63. Purdue, Purdue was unranked in the AP poll at tip-off, but I had the Boilermakers 22nd in Sunday morning's top 25-1 because, as I've said before, the resume is better than the record. Purdue entered the game uh, with Michigan State just 13-6 and six overall, but five of those six losses are to top 35 Kimpom teams. All losses are away from home. So I'm not surprised Purdue won, even though I did pick Michigan State on Thursday night's podcast to win, but I did not expect Purdue to be up 37-19 at the half. Norlander, I know you watched it. Was it just one of those days for the Spartans or something more? Um, I'd say it was more about Purdue than Michigan State. And credit to Purdue for what it was able to do in the first half. If you know, if if it's only managing a, a 10 or a 12 point lead instead of getting up by 22, 24 points, then it could have gone it could have gone differently. For how ineffective Purdue or Michigan State was on offense in the first half. I thought that was the standout thing because uh, the Boilermakers are not exceptional on defense. I still think they're a work in progress on that end. 
but is a team that is consistently still rated well across multiple metrics. Um, an impressive fifth straight win. And, uh, in fact, Purdue has only dropped one game since December 16th. That game? Yes. At Michigan State, Sparty blew them out. So a little bit of retribution, some revenge here. Uh, no real concern with MSU. I mean, they had won 13 in a row. It's its first regular season loss in more than a year in the Big Ten, and that's a tough venue to win at, uh, particularly when Purdue's got uh, you know potential first-team All-American and, and some good size overall. So good on Purdue. That's that's to t- uh, to cancel out, not cancel out, but just to balance the scale uh, in the season series against Michigan State is going to be really good resume insurance down the road for MSU. You know what? You, you take the loss in the league. It's it's the first loss. <laughs> I still think that's the best team in the Big Ten. But yeah, I mean they're now tied atop the standings with Michigan inside the Big Ten, and then Purdue is actually just behind them with two losses. But otherwise, everyone else has three or more, including as you noted, Maryland taking just an absolutely horrendous loss on a neutral floor against Illinois on Saturday at Madison Square Garden. That's a real dinger. Uh, Michigan, by the way, its next game is home against Ohio State. But overall, with Michigan State. I think they'll be fine. I don't think it's too much to uh, to overreact to here. I think it's more about Purdue, them getting a really quality win, and if anything, reminding people of uh, of how dangerous they can be outside of Carson Edwards, who didn't have a great game here, by the way. They got a lot of contribution elsewhere, and credit to Nogel Eastern, who is not a good foul shooter. Michigan State went to him and fouled him, put him on the line. He hit four big free throws down the stretch to salt away the win. Yeah, um, like you mentioned, Michigan State is now tied in the loss column in the Big Ten standings with Michigan. Um, so, you know, it, it's different than it otherwise would have been. But, you know, this is going to be called an upset. Like when you turn on television, they'll be like, hey, did you hear about Purdue upsetting Michigan State? And Purdue actually closed as a one-and-a-half-point favorite in this game out in Vegas. So um, it wasn't technically an upset. Yeah, an unranked team beat a top-ten team. Uh, but from an oddsmaker's perspective – um, not actually an upset. So you don't want to be down 37-19. That's not good. But a loss at Purdue, just move on. You know, if you talk to Tom Izzo uh, right now, I'm, I'm sure he's not happy with this result. But um, I, I, I bet he would take 18-3 and three through 21 games uh, with, with a 13-game winning streak in there. Um, when we talked earlier about his Kentucky National Championship contender, uh, I think the answer is um, – is, is yes, uh, but I think the same question posed and, and, and Michigan State's the subject, uh, I think the answer is also yes. They were down bad on the road um, in a league game against a good team. That can happen to almost anybody in the country. Uh, I'm not worried about Michigan State at all. Let's move on. Uh, so Tennessee uh, has the SEC's longest winning streak uh, right now. The Vols have won 14 straight games. They beat West Virginia on Saturday in Thompson Bowling Arena. They were down big early and it was like is the number one team in the country on upset alert and then they just ran away from west virginia they um handled them the way they were supposed to handle them six no in the sec right now trivia time norlander mm. who has the sec second longest winning streak right now okay it's so it's not lsu it is lsu oh <laughs> i mean you put that on a t for me i thought you were trying to uh reverse juju me yeah they, okay so there you go credit to them and by the way lsu getting away with a win um, at Missouri in OT. They shouldn't have won the game. And then they pulled away in overtime. That was a credit to them. But 
I thought LSU was like the overly obvious answer, and you might have been going somewhere else. But yes, anyway, continue. Well, continue the the continue reason I, I think it's an obvious answer to you because like we do this for yeah. a living every day. <laughs> I wonder how many people listening actually knew the answer to that because LSU has been operating a little bit off of the national radar. They were preseason top twenty-five, but then they go down to Orlando to the Advocare Invitational, and they they took a pair of losses down there that just that just weren't good. Um, the first one was to to Florida State in OT. Nothing really wrong with that but florida state has uh you know i believe dropped out of the top 25 at this point florida state um has has lost a bunch lately has lost three of the last four um heading into sunday's game against uh miami and so uh, lsu loses that one and then the real stinker was the next uh with two days later on sunday november 25th they lose 90 77 to an Oklahoma State team that is currently nine and eleven overall, two and five in the Big Twelve, and even though it was ninety-eight seventy-seven, like the score was closer than the game. Uh, Oklahoma State just pounded them, so they get dropped out of the rankings, and they dropped all the way down to fifty-first at Ken Palm. Um, but they're playing well now. They've won um, uh, nine in a row. They're sixteen and three overall, six and zero in the SEC, and they don't have a signature win yet unless you count the win at Ole Miss immediately after Ole Miss got ranked in the AP poll. But, like, Ole Miss has shown itself to not be a top 25 team since then. Uh, I, I'm, I'm comfortable uh, predicting they'll drop out of the AP poll uh, on Monday. And LSU hasn't yet played Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi State. But this team has gone from 51st at Ken Palm on December 9th to 24th at Ken Palm right now. They're number 13 in the net. Let me ask you this. Do you put LSU in the top tier of the SEC with Tennessee and Kentucky? Yes, I do. Um, I think this team is is exceptional uh, on defense. In fact, it's second in the country among power conference teams in steals per game. Trivia time! Who's number one among all power conference teams in steals per game, Parrish? In steals per game, number one power conference team. I have no idea, and I don't want to answer and say something stupid, so I'll just let you answer. All right. By not answering, it's just as stupid as if you guessed, so I will give you the answer. It's Duke, 10.5. LSU is 9.9 per game. They excel in that area. Also, 13th in the net rankings. They have been trending well in the NCAA's official metric overall. Listen, 5-3 and three in road neutral games have yet to lose a game at home, and um, they're being helped because they played a uh, they've done well against overall what's coming out to a, a fairly solid strength of schedule at this point. I have Tennessee, draw a line. Kentucky, draw a line. LSU, draw a line. And a thick line. And then everyone else in the SEC. I would put them third firmly, but just a little bit behind Kentucky. I want to see a little bit more because, again, we wouldn't be having this conversation if Missouri had been able to close out that game as it should have and not gotten it to overtime. But credit to LSU for getting it done. They've done uh, – it was an impressive win against a bad opponent. And overall, teams just – it's good on both ends of the floor. you got Tremont Waters who can run that offense, and it's defending the three-point line well. Um, it gets to the line a lot. And, and by the way, LSU can blaze. I mean, this is really one of the faster teams that like to push it. Uh, Will Wade's done a good job there. 16-3, one of the sleeper teams. They popped in at number 19 in my power rankings last week. And they will stay amongst that ranking so long as they can get a win at Texas A&M on Wednesday, which, of course, 
I mean, Kansas State could not get. That's That was one of the more surprising losses, even though it was a road environment uh, over the weekend. But, yeah, I'm in on LSU, and slowly but surely and kind of quietly building out a nice resume. But as you noted, the big games still await, and that will ultimately what decides where they land come Selection Sunday. In terms of SEC teams in the top 25 and one, I've got Tennessee at number one. I've got Kentucky at number seven. And then the next SEC score I have is LSU at number 19. I've also got Mississippi State 25th. So I've got four SEC teams in the top 25 and one. But in order, it goes Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU. And, um, you know, I, I noted in the offseason that if a more established brand like Kentucky was bringing back a guard like Tremont Waters and then adding two five-star prospects, people would be talking about it as a Final Four contender. And yet not many people talked about LSU that way. Um, but the, the talent was always in place. Obviously, Will Wade's an accomplished coach. And now it's starting to look like, you know, if they were playing in Minneapolis, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. I will say this about them being 13th in the net. Will has been one of the more outspoken I don't want to say critics, although he has criticized aspects of the net. But more than that, he has talked extensively publicly about the net in a way that shows he really pays attention to it and really understands what matters and what doesn't. And I, 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 I don't want to say he's coaching for the net because he's not. He's coaching to win the game. But one of the, I, I read a quote from him in one of the local papers in Louisiana, and he was talking about they were playing somebody. And at the end of the game, that somebody, like the game's over, right? It's, and, and it's, he, said, he said, so they dribble out the clock on us. You know, they, like, I think LSU was up and the other team just dribbled out the clock. I don't really know. But the point he was making was they dribbled out the clock against us. That's just a normal thing that happens in basketball games. Teams just dribble out the clock. And he said, That's, you know what that is for us, though? It's a defensive stop. It, it, it improves our defensive efficiency numbers. We didn't do anything, but like that little thing helped us. That little thing helps us with this formula. So he really has, um, seemingly has, a pretty good understanding or as good as anybody else understanding of, of how this thing works and what matters and what doesn't. And he seems to be embracing it. And uh, perhaps it's coincidental. Maybe it's it's happening uh, as a, as a result of it. But um, you know, LSU is one of the top fifteen teams in the in the net right now, and um, and obviously trending in the in the right direction. Um, let's switch gears to the Big East. What a mess this is. Villanova and Marquette are both obviously good, but nobody else in the league, nobody else in the league is above five hundred in the Big <laughs> right now. How big of a problem is that? Parish, this is quite the unexpected turn of events because I don't think we would have ever thought that this could have been possible where we'd be approaching the halfway point in Big East play and you'd have everyone under 500. This, this is punctuated by the fact that St. John's on Sunday loses at home to Georgetown. St. John's has really slipped. Uh, I remember it, sp it splits the season series because it won in early January in an OT game against Georgetown. And after that game, St. John's was at 14-1. and one. I was quite confident this team was going to be able to comfortably make the NCAA tournament. It's lost every game since then, with the exception of a win at Creighton uh, at home. And St. John's, you can argue, has as much talent as Villanova and Marquette, and yet it's 3-5, and five, and taking losses like this is a problem. The Big East, since it was 
since it went to 10 teams with the exception of, I believe, the first season because it only had four, it is uh, it has had at least uh, five and in most years has had six teams. Uh, in fact, it had seven teams two seasons ago. I think this conference is going to struggle to put in and the bigger picture here, I do want to say this for February because I think we're feeling this about a lot of leagues, but like I, I'm looking up and down at the, at the Big East and I think it's going to struggle to get five into the NCAA tournament. It can. I'm not saying it won't, but when I say struggle to get five in, maybe that means you've got a situation where two of those five wind up going to Dayton in our first four teams, and they just barely get over that fence. It's bizarre what's happening. Villanova and Marquette are by far outpacing everyone, not just in league standing and overall record, but also if you look across Ken Palm, BPI, KPI, Massey, all those ratings, there is a sizable gap. And, you know, the next team is anyone from uh, Seton Hall to St. John's. To I can maybe give you the specific term. Villanova, at Ken Palm, Villanova's 25. Marquette's 33. And then Butler is actually next at 47. That's followed by Creighton at 50. Uh, St. John's at 54. Seton Hall at 58, so on and so forth. Yeah, and I don't believe that Butler's the third best team. You, however, did pick Butler to finish third in this league, and then you threw them in the garbage. Um, I think that that has since gone to uh, the local transfer station, <laughs> and now your Butler pick is floating somewhere in the uh, the Great Pacific garbage patch, so you can't get well, that I, back. I, I will say this. I, I, if I can get it back, I might take it because um, they are now projected to finish tied for third in the Big East by Ken Pop. Yeah, no, you can't take it back. It's gone. You, you have you have lost that. I'm, I, it, it, maybe if you're lucky, it will be recycled into something, and you can uh, you can use that uh, that pick and that goodwill to have Butler win an NCAA tournament game if it even manages to break through. But I have my doubts there overall. It's just it's bizarre what's happening with the league. This is not a league that we thought. It's not as good as we expected it to be, and a lot of that falls, frankly, on the shoulders of St. John's and Butler, which were expected to be better than they have been. Um, the other teams are about where we thought. Like even like Seton Hall. Providence, I'd say they're about where we thought they'd be, uh, and then you know Xavier's not as strong as it normally is, so that from a from, you know from a reputation standpoint hurts the league. But few thought that Xavier was going to be good enough to make the NCAA tournament. So just uh, keeping an eye on that because there is a there is a big golf, and like Nova Marquette will compete for number two seeds if they can you know ha- if they can win enough games. But after that, it is the, I, I'll say, I'll finish with this parish, and then I just landed on this uh, unexpectedly. I would anticipate that of all the major conferences, and they're, they're the only ones that really apply because they'll be most of the, they'll be the only biz that, the conferences that have three bids, and maybe the Pac-12 doesn't even get there. There will be no greater divide between um, the top two teams and what seeds they get, and then the next one. I'm not seeing a path for these Big East teams to get anything better than a seven, and so you could be looking at a four, maybe even five seed gap in the Big East. There is a gulf that has that has emerged. Um. You know, we get into these conversations every once in a while where the Pac-12 is down and the Big East outside of the top two is down. And so how are these leagues going to get X amount of teams in the tournament? And, you know, as I and a million other people have said many times, they have to take 68 one way or another. And what I would prefer in years like this year is that some of the mid-major and even low-major leagues like you know, get a, a, a closer look like we joked. I, I don't think we we're really joking, but like the Southern Conference could reasonably get two. you know, if Wofford 
just rolled into the Southern Conference Championship game, tournament championship game, and then lost uh, to, you know, East Tennessee or UNC Greensboro or whomever, then let's just say they lose to East Tennessee. Then ETSU gets the auto. Could you get uh, Wofford as an at-large? I think you absolutely could could, uh, could make an argument for it. God knows you're a fan of Wofford, wait, dating way back to November. So, um, you know, hopefully it goes that way, but that would break from uh, the normal way the selection committee does things. They're going to have to put 68 teams in this tournament. And so some of these mediocre, and I think it's, it's fair and not rude to call some of these Big East teams mediocre. There are going to be some mediocre Big East teams probably um, in, in the NCAA tournament. But uh, just a bizarre, bizarre uh, look at the league standings. I mean, when you go Villanova, um, you know, operating undefeated at this moment that we're recording in the league, Marquette seven and one, and then nobody else, even at 500, <laughs> just, you don't, you don't see that too often in, uh, in any league, but it is, uh, it's the case with the big East right now. Um, I've been out in Las Vegas since Friday. So I'll be honest, I watched Kansas, Kentucky at a sports book yesterday, but I didn't see a whole lot of, of basketball. Um, so you tell me, any additional thoughts from the weekend? Yeah, I'll wrap it up with just a few things here, try and give love to a few programs, and frankly some love, uh, not so much love to a few programs that are slipping and sliding here. Things that, that kind of flared for me. One, Iowa State winning on the road in the style that it did at Ole Miss uh, – Maybe says equal things about both teams, but frankly, Iowa State's talent and ability to score the one through the five was impressive. An 87-73 win at Old Miss. You're getting Old Miss is still tracking to the NCAA tournament, but whereas we thought, okay, hey, maybe this team can shock and be something like a five seed. I think when we get to the end of the season, we're going to look up and see that team along the ten or the eleven line still get in. That's a great year for Kermit Davis. Iowa State, a fantastic road non-conference win that I still think will qualify as quad one. That helps them overall. That was a standout win early on Saturday. Elsewhere. Well, Baylor, if you want to stick in the Big 12 here, I would argue that Baylor has had the most consequential and surprising January turnaround of any major conference team. It's now won four straight, five of its past six, two on the road, and is now 4-2 and two with the Big 12. That doesn't include the win at Alabama, which is a nice win. I don't know if Scott Drew's team is going to get to the NCAA tournament, but this is a Baylor program that in consecutive seasons has suffered significant roster issues to injuries or transfers. They lost Tristan Clark uh, for the rest of the season earlier this season to an injury, and he was a, he was a pivotal uh, four-man starter. They don't have him. I talked to Scott Drew on Saturday. He said, you know what, at this point I'm writing all my lineups in pencil so I can just scratch out and erase anything that I need to. I did not realize this. Drew told me that they only had three scholarship players heading into this season. That was the fewest of any power conference team. They had nine newcomers, all told – Baylor is 13-6, and 4-2. and two. Keep an eye on them. They've got a game at home or at on the road at Oklahoma Parish. Here's what's kind of funky about it because I was talking to Scott about this. So Oklahoma destroyed Vanderbilt on Saturday. And Vanderbilt coached by, of course, Bryce Drew. And so I said, I don't know what your brother is going to be able to tell you here about Oklahoma that either you don't already know or is, is going to be of any use. But it is kind of weird that Oklahoma has uh, back-to-back games against the Drew brothers. Just keep an eye. They might be a sleeper team um, going forward. The Big 12 is obviously loaded. I want to give some love here before I close with Nebraska on Cincinnati and Houston. Parrish, 
I'm in on Houston being a top 10 team in the country. Uh, they have one loss. They're at 20-1. and one. They win on the road against Tulsa on Sunday, one of the best defensive teams in America. We've talked about them a little bit on this podcast, but because of the conference they play in, because they don't have marquee games on a weekly basis, I, they just aren't getting as much run as I think that they're deserving of. But this is a sleeper Final Four caliber team. I think we'll be talking about them a little bit more here in February, particularly if the, if the re- record continues to get gaudy and they can beat up on some of those lesser teams. Meanwhile, Cincinnati got a crucial win for that league in beating Temple at Sunday on Sunday. If the American wants three bids, it needs Cincinnati and, uh, and Houston to continue to win out. And then lastly... Uh, a team that's really going in the wrong direction is Nebraska. And it's not just because of the losses. They've dropped three in a row, dropped five of the past seven. They lose Isaac Copeland, and his career is over. This this yeah. totally – Parrish, this totally sucks. All right, so he starts his career at Georgetown. He gets called for a travel, and then you know how sometimes like a call will happen, a player will just shoot up a three or whatever. Like He just continued kind of to go through the play and, and put up a layup even though it was never going to count. He lands awkwardly. One of um, one of the Ohio State players lands on him, uh, tears his left ACL. He's done for the year. Extremely pivotal front court player for a Nebraska team who had a just okay non-conference slate. And it probably should make the NCAA tournament, but they're not that deep in the front court. I talked to Tim Miles. He said they're going to have to ride Isaiah Roby, who's kind of a comparable player, a starter, even more so. They've got a couple of reserves in the front court, but like Tanner Borchardt, we don't know what he's going to be like and how much he's going to be able to step up. Nebraska isn't an exceedingly deep team. So if we were to wrap up this weekend and say, you know, the biggest winners and the biggest losers, I think Nebraska is at the top of the list, Parish, of biggest losers because at one point they were 13-4, and four, still looking good. Now you look up the third. 13 and 7, they lose Copeland. Copeland's college career is over. That's just awful. And now their their outlook is not as optimistic as it once was. No, and it, it it's just a killer. I mean, you you're fighting for your life, right? Um you know, in in a tough league at a traditionally not great basketball school. I know they've really invested in in the program and given Tim as many resources as they can give him to, to try to be competitive. And he has been competitive. He's done a good job there, but you know, if they don't get this thing turned around and now they're, you know, they're going to be trying to turn it around without a key player. Um, you know, they, they are at risk of missing the NCAA tournament for the one, two, three, four, fifth consecutive season. And that's usually a number where people start to talk about, you know, your job. And so, um, it's just it's obviously incredibly unfortunate for Isaac because you know you're you're supposed to know or have a good idea when your last college basketball game is going to be if you're an underclassman and you're going to enter the NBA draft well at least you know you go okay this is the last game of my sophomore year this is it or hey the end's getting close um if you're a senior it's senior day or NCAA tournament or conference tournament or whatever um but you know he woke up on you know, in late January, thinking he still had another, you know, month and a half to play basketball. And boom, it's just gone. He'll never step on a college basketball court again. Like, I hate, you know, and this happens sometimes in the sport. Um, and I hate it every time it happens. Nobody's college career should end like that. Um, and then it, it's especially tough for Tim as well. Because I, I, I do, I, you know, careers can sometimes be altered in a in a pretty significant way uh, by stuff like this. And so I, I, I'll be rooting for Nebraska to overcome uh, this and 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 get to wherever it was you know possibly capable of getting uh, pre-injury because um, you know I I, I you know, it, it, the whole thing the whole thing sucks and it's um, it's especially tough when you're you're coaching under uh, 
what I would assume just because you know these hot seat lists say so, uh, a little bit of job pressure. Let me ask you, did you have Tim Miles on your hot seat list in the preseason? I did, and I think Nebraska fans listening are astute listeners with uh, with good memories. That reminds me, before we get out of here, i got to give someone a shout, and you know who I'm going to give that to. Um, I had him on. I think you might have quasi-disagreed, but I also said that uh, I thought that he might change – jobs not necessarily because of a lack of success but maybe other opportunities now that's a little bit more in doubt overall um but he was uh, given the circumstances surrounding uh the program athletic department lack of success in recent seasons i think he was a a reasonable candidate now we wait and see I, i tell you what i think nebraska right now is among the biggest toss-ups for NCAA tournament inclusion among power conference teams because of the Copeland injury. Really, really good player, and I do think he could be so valuable and so good that not having him has a significant impact on them going forward. Keep an eye on that. i got to give the shout-out here, Parrish. Jonathan Karabovich. I hope I did not uh, murder your last name there. We got Parrish and I got a joint message over the weekend this is awesome. This is why we love our listeners. Someone actually did this, and we did not know it until just a couple of days ago. He has been tracking our picks because I asked this at the start of the season. I said, listen, if someone out there actually wants to do this, I'd be so curious if you would. He has been tracking our picks since the start of the season, and, uh, and sure enough, this is wild. We are both, and this is actually fairly good, although it's not against the spread, so whatever, but we're both 25 and 13 at this point on the games that we have both picked so far. Shout out to you, Jonathan. That's really, really cool. He's going to continue to monitor that for us and I think update us once we get to the NCAA tournament a little bit after. But those little things are just really cool. We love to hear from listeners on that kind of stuff. And that's way better than I thought we would have been, by the way. All right, real quick then, to try to keep um, this competition going, uh, there's two games on Tuesday night that I, I think could – uh, reasonably be considered toss-ups. We've already talked about one of them briefly. Let me look at what the projected score is on the other. Okay, not really a toss-up, at least according to Ken Palm. But um, one is uh, is Kansas at Texas. Who would you take in that one? I'll take I'll take Kansas because Texas, by the way, lost at Georgia. It's eleven and nine. That team is a mystery wrapped in a riddle, stuck in a quagmire, buried under a bog right now. I don't know what's going on with Texas. So I'm taking KU. I presume you will as well. Just to be different, I'm going to take Texas. I'll take Shaka's Longhorns. If Matthew McConaughey shows up in that orange suit again. <laughs> Cannot wait. I need him in that orange suit. Uh, Shaka needs him in that orange suit. Texas is uh, uh, like still good at Kinpom and in the computers, but they're not good in real life. <laughs> they're great in the computers, but they're very mediocre in real life. Top 35 at Kinpom, 11 and 9 in real life. So I'll take Texas. You'll take Kansas. And then – the other one, I thought it might be a toss-up because you're you're getting ranked team on the road against ranked team, um, and that can sometimes be tricky. It's often tricky. Virginia at North Carolina State, but Kim Palm's got Virginia winning that game, projected score by ten points. Oh boy, I have to take Virginia, and I think you have to as well. Hey, credit to Braxton Beverly for getting that three-point win. Clemson kind of goofed on fouling up three, did it too soon. NC State gets the win. Uh, but with what Virginia did to Notre Dame, which uh, they had like two points in the first like seven minutes on their home floor, and it, it, it's just absurd. They're, while, of course, NC State can win, of course they can. It, yep. it, you, we are so hard-pressed to pick Virginia to lose that game given how well they've played as of late, so I th- I, we got to be both on the same page there. 
Yeah, I mean, remember, they're just a two-point loss at Duke from being undefeated. And since the Duke loss, I mean, they, they went and beat Wake Forest brains in, 68-45. Then they went to Notre Dame and they went 82-55. So they're really rolling right now. Number two in offensive efficiency, number three in defensive efficiency. I've got them ranked number two in the top 25 and one just behind Tennessee. Yeah, I will, uh, I'll take Virginia. So uh, we both got Virginia over NC State. I got Texas over Kansas. You've got Kansas over Texas. Uh, I think that's it. I think it's time for me to get back to my Vegas life. You need to get back to your Vegas life, get down to those blackjack tables, and uh, if... But it's a I haven't played a hand of blackjack since I've been here. I've probably gambled a total of about an hour the whole time I've it's been here. completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. You know what, though? I do want to let you go, but by the time Wednesday's podcast gets here, who knows what we'll be talking about, and we might be too far away from this. I do want to get, if you can, give me, uh, give me your 60 to 90 second... And I know I'm asking a lot to ask you to keep it so short, but give me your Lady Gaga review here. It was a lot of fun. Like, I'm not the guy who has, um, you know, Lady Gaga on my iPhone, you know, while I'm driving around in my car. But she's obviously an incredible performer. And once my wife and I decided to come here on this weekend, um, she's doing like a three week residency. Like she's playing Thursday night, Saturday night. So I, I can't remember if it's like six total shows or eight total shows but it's it's a, a very limited number of shows in a 5000 seat theater so you can imagine what tickets look like but once we decided to come on this weekend and this was one of the weekends she was going to be there i was like well that'll be fun we'll go and then we happened to be there last night you've probably seen this on twitter it was the number one trending topic in america this morning we happened to be there last night bradley cooper was there i did not and actually i had no idea that happened but uh, so did he sing yeah, it was the it was the number one trending topic in the United States this morning. I, I on Instagram in my Instagram stories, like last night after the show, I just did an Instagram story, and the caption was, uh, "I bet this will be on TMZ in the morning." And when I woke up, it was on TMZ and the number one trending topic in America. He was seated about twenty yards from my wife and I. And we saw like some commotion to over to our left right before the show was starting, like a bunch of people trying to take pictures. And I could not see who it was. But the, the guy next to me seemed to be very sure about who it was. And I was like, who is that over there? And he was like, Bradley Cooper. He's wearing a, a Dodgers hat backwards. He was wearing a Dodgers hat backwards. And so he sat there the whole show. And then, you know, she does the whole show and now she closes it. It's like a, a not a play or a musical, but like there's a storyline throughout the show. There's some acting in it. She's talking to like this computer generated thing. It's it's a story more than just a concert with songs. But then after the, that part's over, she breaks character and she has been coming out and, and playing Shallow, of course, the big hit from A Star is Born. And um, you you would assume that she was going to try to get Bradley on stage. And he, he, you know, she asked him. He came on stage. And uh, I believe that's the first time they performed that song live together um, since the movie was released. And so it was a, it was an awesome moment. Really cool. Um, Better than better yeah. than Kim Kardashian at Hakkasan. Yeah, it was a, it was more. Fun. I don't know, man. We had fun that night, didn't we? <laughs> I'm just asking you to pick one or the other. If you could relive one or the other, what would you relive? Watch this. Tell me how good this answer is. I would relive last night, not because I choose Lady Gaga over Kim Kardashian, oh, gosh, but because it's... one night involved me standing beside my wife, oh, yeah. and the other night did not. And I would always choose to be with my wife. No shot your wife listens to this podcast, Parrish, so why don't you answer honestly? <laughs> I did make her subscribe. 
I said, listen, you can't. Uh, yeah, I can't be begging people at the end of every podcast to go subscribe via Apple Podcast, and then and then you don't even have it in your iPhone. So it does pop up in her iPhone. I see it. I don't know whether she actually listens, but it does pop up in her iPhone. Hi, Kelly. Just in case. Well, that's, uh, but it was a great show. We went and saw Van Morrison on Friday night in a little small theater. And that was that exceeded my expectations because you just never know what you're going to get from an undeniable, you know, uh, songwriting icon, but also somebody who's a little up there in age. But he was terrific. And that place was sold out. And then Lady Gaga's totally different crowd, you can imagine, between uh, Van Morrison and Lady Gaga. But the Lady Gaga show was awesome. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga were there. Uh, on stage together so that made for a, a cool moment it's a nice memory it was a fun night i've had a good time out here in vegas but all we haven't really i haven't really gambled much at all so here's what i'm going to do we're going to post this uh ion college basketball podcast and then i'm going to settle in uh, to the sports book downstairs and i'm going to watch uh whatever's on tv the rest of the day and and probably drink vodka drinks go make that money as best you can enjoy the rest of your time in vegas have a safe trip back and for those listening, we will be back with a fresh new episode on Wednesday. I hope that many of you, oh, I know. Listen, we appreciate that you listen as soon as possible. This was a nice little early Sunday surprise for you uh, due to uh, GP being out in Vegas. So I hope you appreciate a little bit of an early listen on Sunday. For those that like to save it for their Monday commute, I totally understand. Totally get that as well. But we'll be back with you, barring any sort of uh, schedule snafus or big news for Wednesday morning's pod. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. You can, just like my wife did, subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. So please go do that. And let me say this real quick. And I promise uh, we're going to be out of here real soon. In fact, you can just hit stop now if you want to. Um, Norlander uh, handled the please go subscribe thing on like last Thursday night. And we got a lot of really positive ratings from you guys. Like I saw the numbers shoot up. Uh, considerably. And so uh, that was nice to see. Maybe this is just uh, evidence that Norlander is much better at getting you guys to go subscribe via Apple Podcasts than I am. Either way, thank you for doing that, those of you who who did do that. It means a lot. And if you haven't done it yet, it takes a minute. Uh, if you uh, got a minute to subscribe and leave a nice comment and maybe a five-star rating, that would be awesome. Either way, like Norlander said, we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care.